This is Christian Thought in Our World, Episode 6. And the title of today's show is, In a Postmodern World, Why the Authority of Scripture Matters. I am your host, Eric Ramirez, welcoming you along with Brother James Alleman and Johnny Navarro. And we plan to have a, a good discussion today on something that's very important. As you've been uh, noticing, for those of you have, who have been following, these uh, shows that we've been dealing with, we've been dealing with a lot of uh, social issues, a lot of uh, what's going on in the culture. And uh, we think that today we want to, again, kind of address that issue, in particular, dealing with the subject of the importance of Scripture and the authority it should have on our lives. For our first point, we have how do confessing Christians deal with the issues of life? In other words, when you're living your life as a Christian and you're looking at the different things that come up in life, where do you turn to? What is the one thing that you look to? Do you look to your own understanding? Do you look to the understanding of friends? Do you look to the understanding of the institutions? You know, what is, what is it that motivates you? Is it your church? Is it your pastor? Those are the things that we have to ask ourselves. As Christians, we should be thinking biblically, and we should be looking to God for answers. And because we know that the Bible is the word of God, that is where actually we should be centered. In. And while it is good to follow others, because the Bible does speak about encouraging one another, and we also have teachers and we have guides in the form of pastors, which obviously help us in these things to have an understanding of the way of God. We have to remember that the ultimate authority is God himself. And the one thing that we have that we know for sure is of God is the Bible. One of the things that I'd like to go ahead and uh, take a look at is I found an interesting article on Lifeway, and it has to do with uh, Christians and reading their Bible. And I'd like to go ahead and uh, turn to that. We'll go ahead and send you the link and, and have that put on, on the page where we have the video. But it's called Lifeway Research. Americans are fond of the Bible, but don't actually read it. By Bob Smetana. And I'm going to read a little bit of it. It says, Americans have a positive view of the Bible. And many say the Christian scriptures are filled with moral lessons for today. However, more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible. Less than a quarter of those who have ever read a Bible have a systematic plan for reading the Christian scriptures each day. And a third of Americans never pick it up on their own. According to the new study by the Nashville, Nashville excuse me, based Lifeway Research. It says it's a small wonder many churches... Oh, excuse me, many church leaders worry about biblical illiteracy, said Scott McConnell, executive director of Lifeway Research. So we see that Christians, while they hold in high regard and they understand that there's a high regard that we must have for the scriptures, it seems that they don't really put it into practice to really look and seek, you know, the, the truths from God. Brother James, can you have anything that you could help us to understand why this is happening in our society? Well, I think one of the major factors of why um, Christians or, you know, professing Christians, let's use the term, <clears throat> don't read their Bible or do not 
actually use the Bible as their standard for their life is because the the big evangelical popular Christian uh, culture that we have pretty much in the last, I'm going to say at least 30 years, it could possibly be longer, has been this, this um, belief that you accept Jesus Christ in your heart and your life is going to be better. Um, you're going to, you're going to live uh, a better life in the sense of you're also going to be obedient. Um, and it's always taught you should read your Bible, you should read your Gospels, but it's not enforced as something, at least from what I've noticed, it's not enforced as something where it's the Lord speaking to you. So one of the greatest quotes that I ever heard from uh, or, or dealing with this issue came from John MacArthur where John MacArthur stated, or somebody asked him one time, what's more important, reading your Bible or praying? And his response was, well, it's like breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in is the scripture. Breathing out is prayer. You need to do both. That That's what you need to do. And I think it's just very telling of what the Christian life is. See, the Christian life begets the fruit of it so that's what we're begetting from our Christian life is, yes, obedience to the Lord. Of course, we, we will always ob be ob obeying the Lord. But where do we get that? Where, what, what is it that we are obeying? What is our standard Correct. for obeying? And so that is the Bible. That is our standard. And that is our truth. See, one of the things you can speak to many Christians and they'll be like, well, you know, you got your truth and I have my truth. And that's a very postmodern. <laughs> that's a very postmodern yes. idea. But the reality is the Bible and which is the revealed will of God is the truth. It is our standard that we live by. And it is a revelation that not only comes from from our Lord, not only uh, was it the Holy Spirit that through the inspiration of these writers wrote it? And as you can see through thousands of years, how coherent it is. But it is everything to us because this is how we communicate or how the Lord communicates with us. And then how we communicate with the Lord is not only reading the scripture, but praying to our Lord. Yes. And I and I think you're, you're on to something there in, in the fact that we have to have our, our, in essence, our understanding from scripture guide our life. And so, for instance, when it comes to prayer, it's very important to understand the will of God. And by reading your Bible, you will know actually how to properly pray, because it's not only about understanding who God is and what he says, right? But understanding even ourselves through this, because one of the things that God is doing is he's actually, in essence, particularly through the law, giving us a mirror and showing us who we are by seeing his righteousness and his character and comparing ourselves to the way that we are, we, we have an understanding of where, where we stand. And today it's very, very important because when it comes to different issues, such as, you know, uh, marriage, you know, uh, gender, you know, uh, even the issue of science, 
uh, it seems to me that so many Christians are being affected by the culture, particularly education and the different institutions. And what they're doing is they're looking to their definitions to express their views and to look to their views. So as you said, if somebody says, oh, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, that's not necessarily what Christians have believed throughout the ages. So this is actually contrary because Jesus, when Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life, he meant it in an absolute way. And so what we want to have is that proper understanding so that when we're reading the Bible, we know how every word of God actually has to do with our lives. Brother Johnny, how do you feel about this issue? What are your observations on, on this issue? Uh, you're you're on mute, brother. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to. I'm having some problems with the sound, but I, I got most of what you said. Uh, yes, uh, I think part of the issue is uh, is so is a Christian sociological issue, and that is that you have people in the church who are in some cases raised in the church. You know, maybe they went to Sunday school. They know the tale of Jonah. They know Jesus loves me. This I know, but because the Bible tells me so. And and they have a very childish version of Christianity. And of course, you have televangelists, which we can name, who have a very, I guess the word sometimes used is the word evangelifish type uh, Christianity, where all, all of it is about how do you feel? And, and do you feel loved? Do you feel better about yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so what you have is... Uh, when people go to church, I, I remember Dr. Robert Morey, who passed away, uh, he talked about how some people go to church for various reasons. Perhaps a person started going to church because, you know, they liked the girl that they found attractive, so they decide to go there. Or maybe they, it, you know, it'll help them with their business to, to go to this particular church because the people will do business with them. Or it'll be for, because they just grew up in, in that church and that, you know, my dad was this religion, so therefore I am that. And they don't have a true commitment to the faith that they have. Uh, and that, that's just one element, the, the, the reason why they're attending that church and how weak their commitment is to, to understanding their own faith in and of itself. But the other aspect of this is that uh, the, the Bible is a collection of books that are thousands of years removed from us in terms of when they were written. Uh, they were written in different languages, in a very different culture and world than we live in today. And so that can become a, a bit of a daunting task where people are like, what the heck? You know, all these begets and people having to do this and having to do that. And this is so boring. Uh, and, and then you go through the book of Leviticus, uh, which, which gets into the holiness code, and it's very, very difficult to work your way through material like that. And, and so when you have the, a combination of those things, and, and all in all, it's really a lack of discipleship. That There, there is a reason why uh, people in religious faiths, and not just denominations where we have these minor disagreements, but religious faiths where we clearly disagree on who God is, what his gospel is, but yet they turn out, in some cases, people that are very sharp, very committed, they know their material very well, and in some cases may know it better than the people in the church. So uh, there's a variety uh, of different reasons. And so for Christians, we need to understand that our discipleship, our growth is on feeding on the word of God because the word of God is supposed to be the, as uh, is said in the scriptures, it is a lamp unto our feet. And until... Christians treat the Bible in that way, 
uh, we're going to produce this kind of ignorance where people, I was actually just recently watching a Tyler Perry movie. Uh, it's a comedy with drama in it uh, where he plays this older woman named Medea. And uh, in the story, Medea is telling the story of Peter uh, who had fallen in the water after walking on water, but because he was distracted because Noah had come by in the ark. And then uh, he got into the ark with Noah. And then all, it, it's just, he mixes all this stuff. He says that Eve was there and that, and that she was really, I mean, it, it's a hilarious story where you have all, all kinds of characters that never match. Yeah. So you have the, all these characters that never met and it's humorous because the Medea character, who's, who's the star, you know, Tyler Perry, that's his franchise. Yes. But when you're looking at the, these types of things, it reflects how many people don't know. I mean, it, it, one, the, the, the actual main character in that particular story, uh, I forget her name, is Taraj something, a uh, wonderful actress, critically acclaimed. I think she's, won, she's been nominated or won an Oscar. Uh, she was actually, when she, when she hears the little girl who, who heard the story of Peter falling in the water, uh, the little girl starts retelling the story the way Medea did. And she's like, what? What? It's like, no, 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 no. Even I know that ain't right. <laughs> but I mean, it's humorous because there's so many Christians that could easily make that mistake. I mean, I actually have a relative. That not, this is not a biblical example, but a relative that thought that Martin Luther and Augustine knew each other. So, <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll let you take over, Eric. No well, that's, no, well, that's actually a very good point. You know, like, for instance, when I was growing up, I remembered a lot of the stories. And obviously, you, rem you remember the moral lessons in it. But, you know, but if you would have asked me back then, you know, when I was in my teens, you know, who Abraham was, who Jacob was and Moses, I couldn't tell you the relationship between them. I remember their stories, but I couldn't I didn't even know that they were all related, that they were, you know, family. So it's so when you have a story like with uh, such as this one with Tyler Perry, I think it's a good example of what can happen. And this is why it's very, very important to uh, meditate on the scripture and to not only just merely read it, but to really begin to understand it. When you begin to make the connections, it starts to become a lot more clear. And I think one of the reasons why there's so much confusion today, it's because of the fact that people are not getting, not engaging their Bible. And the Christians have been known as the people of the book, right? Because why? Because we've highly so revered the scriptures, you know, and in, in many ways, you know, today we have uh, people who try to, in essence, put that same logic or understanding into other other faiths. And it's actually not right because at the end of the day, most of the faiths are actually based on tradition, right? And a lot of it is oral tradition. And we, and we know that even within uh, certain groups that are called Christians, there are traditions as well. But the problem is that how do they substantiate that that is from God? Can they actually say that it's God-breathed as something that was received by the prophets as we know it? And I think that if they really sit down and look at it, they cannot say that. And so for us, it's very, very important to have a proper understanding of the scriptures. And by reading in itself, that's one of the ways that it actually authenticates itself by being able to know the message and understand its purpose. Let us go to the second point, which is actually a question, which is what is the example of Jesus when addressing issues of faith? And this has to do with, in other words, when Jesus was teaching when he lived, what did scripture, how, how, how did he deal with the issues of faith? What, what role did the scriptures play uh, to him? The first example I'd like to give is looking at the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is basically addressing a wrong understanding 
that people had, particularly uh, things that were probably repeated by the rabbis, and bring in a proper understanding of the law of God, which of course has to do with scriptures. And I want to use as an example Matthew 5.21, where if we read it, it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, here Jesus is giving a very strong admonition, right, against uh, hating your brother. Now, this is the interesting thing, and this, and this actually ties in a little bit with uh, what is the dispensational view, which is the view that Jesus came, in essence, to, to bring a, a, a new understanding in this particular case. But if you really look at, at the, uh, the Beatitudes, the things that Jesus is saying are actually things that are repeated in the law. And I want to give an example of that. If you were to turn to Leviticus 19.7, look what it says. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So we see here that this idea that you shouldn't have hatred in your heart, right? It comes from the fact that it comes from the law of God. And so Jesus is properly giving an understanding of this. I'd like to also look at uh, one of the things that Jesus mentions about when we look at the law and the prophets. In verses 17 and 19 in that same chapter, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of these, uh, excuse me, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is explaining here that even though he came and he died as a sacrifice for our sins and took away the yoke of the law, right, which sends us to hell, yet he is saying here that he came to fulfill it. It didn't come to, to be done away with. So the law is something that we continuing right not in terms of reaching righteousness because how does righteousness come righteousness comes by faith in the work of jesus christ but because we are children of god because we are children of the light we are to walk in that light and the light comes from scripture and the law is that light that gives us those statutes to be able to walk in the righteousness that god has called us to brother johnny what are your thoughts on on uh how Jesus used the law and how people can look at, at that as an example. Uh, you're on mute again, brother. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Cause I'm trying to do multiple things. Okay. Uh, so basically one of, one of the things that I, that I find interesting is uh, when Jesus is confronted with certain challenges, whether it be with the Sadducees, when he, when he was confronted with them, uh, and they're, they're challenging him on the doctrine of the resurrection. And they tell him that story about the woman who was married to seven men and she didn't have any children. And how, who will she be, uh, who, who will she be married to in the resurrection? And, and Jesus reveals to them, you are, have erred or you are wrong. 
in your interpretation of the Bible. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And, and Jesus is confronting them by saying that they're wrong according to the scriptures. When he talks to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 10, verse 34, he says the scriptures cannot be broken. Uh, but one, one of the most famous examples has to do with the, the Corban rule in uh, Matthew chapter 15, where you, where you have the, the Pharisees uh, are, are criticizing Jesus and, and, and his disciples for not following this tradition or these traditions that they have in general. And Jesus has this to say to them. He just says, um, he does not need to honor his father. You have nullified the word of God on account of your tradition. Now, the thing about this tradition is that this tradition is a tradition that the Jews thought that came from Moses. So they, they simply say, we're following a tradition that we got from Moses, and you guys aren't following it. And Jesus says to them, oh, yeah? Well, let's compare this tradition to what we know is in Moses in the scriptures. And he says, you're nullifying the word of God by this tradition of men. And, and that to me is, is a, and when we get to the next point, I'm going to quote a, a verse that I find very important, but, but that's, that, that's what my thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that what he's stating there in context is that because of this Cor Corbin uh, law that they had or rule, it was actually violating the commandment of to not honor your mother and father, because since they would donate, you know, these furnishings to the temple when their parents actually needed it, they couldn't do it because it was already being given uh, to the temple. So we see that that's a violation of that. And this is very important because one of the things that we got to do with scriptures, we got to reason through them. And this is one of the things that I like is that if you see Jesus, that's basically what he's doing. He's reasoning through the scriptures, showing how these uh, traditions that are developed, they're not biblical because they're not based on that law of God. And what we want to do is have an understanding of what is the law of God so that when we make decisions, and even if we build our own traditions, because let's let's be honest, right? When we talk about denominations, they are traditions, but they are supposed to be traditions that are supposed to be based on biblical understanding. And so it's very important that when we're making decisions on whatever things it is, baptism, you know, uh, uh, salvation, you know, these different aspects of, of faith, that we make sure that it's something that it is biblical right uh brother james what are your thoughts on this issue well as you have you guys have pointed out and in jesus quoting the scriptures he's also teaching us how to interpret the scriptures obviously in this case he's how to interpret the old testament um, so one of the aspects of interpreting the Old Testament is, well, the Jews were, at the time, were interpreting it a certain way, and they were adding traditions to it. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter because we see, again, a spiritualization of interpretation coinciding with um, actual action. So, for instance, he says, um, you know, uh, if you have hate in your heart, if you have uh, anger towards this person, you are violating the law of do not murder. And you hear that and you say, how? You're, you're not actually committing murder. But the heart of or the, the main point of that commandment is obviously is a matter of the heart. So, but you also see how Jesus quotes scripture 
to talk about fulfillment. So one of the things that he, he, he shows is where he speaks uh, in Luke 4.18 on uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he says that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's reading this and then he, he gives back the scroll and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm sure they were like, what? What what just happened? <laughs> this guy is making himself <laughs> out to be, you know, yes. the, the spirit of the Lord is on him. They know who he's talking about. He's talking about the Messiah. And I'm sure some might have believed it, uh, but others, and probably the majority, at least in, in this quote, I would assume, this is now an assumption, that they were like, this guy's crazy. We know this guy. We know who he, where he's from. And uh, so you see that there is a way that Jesus interprets scripture but by interpreting that scripture he is showing you that there is an authority to the scripture there is truth to the scripture there is this scripture is a standard that they live by and and so when these things are fulfilled it is a standard that is being fulfilled in Christ right the law is the standard that is being fulfilled in Christ mm -hmm. he is the true Israel the, there's many promises in the Old Testament that are made to Israel, and they are fulfilled in Christ. And then by extension, his his bride, right, the church. The church uh, consists of both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And what, and another of that of the, the, that aspect is the covenants, right? Because we have all these covenants telling us, hey, the the, the seed of Abraham uh, is gonna is gonna be blessed. You're gonna get all this land. You know, you're, you're, uh, the Lord is always going to be on your side. And what do we find out in Galatians? That the seed of Abraham is really the singular figure that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, who where all the promises are fulfilled in him. And now, because we are in him, we get, we get to uh, experience that fulfillment also with him. We are seated with him and on the thrones we are ruling right now with him as it says in um and i forgot where that is stated but it is stated somewhere where it says uh, that we are ruling with him now oh, i think it's in ephesians that's what it is ephesians 2 that we're ruling with him right now and that he has called us as a priesthood so you see that this scripture all this stuff we we wouldn't be able to either believe it or we wouldn't even know where he's getting it from if it wasn't for the scriptures. So you see the authority of the scriptures. This is what we live by. This is our standard. Without getting into eschatology. Without getting into eschatology. <laughs> yes, we'll save that for another show, right? <laughs> well, no, I think that's a really good point. And I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a lot that you unpack there. But in order to have an understanding of those things that you just unpacked, that means you've got to be reading your Bible. You've got to be making the connections. It's important also to, uh, to join the church, being part of your community, to be active in discussing these things, because that's how we get this understanding. Uh, did you have a comment, Brother Johnny? Uh, yes, I did. I, I wanted to make uh, one particular observation about history, and that is that uh, in the ancient world, one of the things that is, I mean, something about the modern age is that so many people know how to read. People are on their phones and they're reading their text messages or reading articles online or, 
doing all kinds of things and buying books and stuff like that. So many people know how to read today. Uh, that was not the case in the ancient world. And so if you were a Christian living, let's say, 1,600 years ago, and you didn't know how to read, your responsibility was to get someone to read the text for you. Remember, this is before radio and television, so you didn't have all the distractions that we have today. I mean, these are luxuries that I enjoy, of course. But, but at that time, you know, you didn't have performance art unless you went out to like a play or something like that. So if you wanted to know what the scriptures were, you had to go somewhere where someone would read the text for you and you would have to memorize what you heard from someone else as it was being read. That's a, a tremendous commitment when so many people today that know how to read choose not to read the Bible. Yes, and it's a good point to make that, for instance, when... In the scriptures, it speaks of the Bereans, right? I believe in the book of Acts, you know, that, that were questioning uh, or investigating into what Paul was saying and were commended for it. They didn't go home and pick up their Bible, right? What were they doing? They had to go to the synagogue because that's where the scrolls were. That's where the scriptures were. And so it's very important that we not take for granted the fact that we have not only the, the ability to have our Bibles and to be able to read them, but that we also have... A variety of translations, variety of translations that we can look into, which actually help into this. Every translation has its uh, strengths and weaknesses, but that's one of the things that makes it so wonderful. It's also one more very thing. good. Go ahead. One more thing. I'm sorry. I, you just mm -hmm. you just reminded me of, of something that's also very significant. What you just talked about, how the Bereans had to go to the synagogue. That's extremely important because Bibles yes. had to be handwritten down. That's how they were hand, they were yes. hand copied. So to get a Bible or or to get the scriptures, it was extremely expensive to purchase this stuff. Number one, you had to know how to read, which meant you had money or connections. And number two, in order to have access to them, you either had to read it where they had it or have a copy of it yourself today we can read the bible for free you can literally go on google and put you know bible and you can have all entire bible translations in english and spanish and whatever and read them for free so we're living in a digital age so this is not a case where we're ignorant because we can't read the text we're ignorant because we choose not to read them yes that's a that's a that's a good point and that's and that's the essence of this that you know we have we have something of great value. First of all, if you read Psalm 19 or Psalm 119, where if you have not read those, I highly recommend you read them because they they really speak of the of the beauty, the importance, and the benefit of meditating on God's law, which of course was one of the ways that it was referred to at that time of the scriptures. And for us today, you know, it's we refer to it as a Bible. We refer to these books because it's it's not just one book. It's actually a set of books, right? So we have a library in, in the Bible, and we have something that's incredible because we have something that expands ages. Not all the works that are out there that are religious expand ages. You know, I think the Bible is very unique in this. And so we have something that's of great, great value, and we shouldn't take for granted the fact that we can have access to this. If anything, we should actually be thankful to God in our prayers that we have this. I want to point out the fact that when we look at Jesus, one of the ways that we see that is that is so important, his example, is the fact that he's God. He's deity. And being the Messiah, he is preeminent overall. So his word alone should be able to be received 
based on that. And isn't it interesting that even though he holds those that, that precious standing, he yet regards what God has laid down, what what uh, what the Lord has has laid down, which of course, which is would be something that he himself as deity has laid down. So it's very important that when we look at these different things that we're looking at at life, and even the ideas that we're having in terms of our religion or faith, we've got to make sure that it has to do from an understanding from scripture. In light of that, I'd like to go ahead and uh, go to the third point, which is again, another question, which is how should we who are Christians use the word of God? And by this, I mean, how do we find truths? How do we find significance? How do we find principles in the Bible? I'd like to use 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12 as an example of this. We read, do I say these things on human authority? Notice what, he, what he's asking there. Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not... Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this right claim on you, do not we even more? And so here he's making a, a case for them being uh, basically uh, rewarded properly for their work that they've been doing within the church, spiritual work. And we see that, what is he doing? He's going, he's going back to the Old Testament. We got to remember, at this time, Christ has died. You know, it is now the apostles that are in authority. We're living in New Testament times, and yet there's still an appeal to the Old Testament. What this is showing us is that that law that was being done was not just uh, something for the time or for just specifically for, in this case, for oxen, but that there was a principle being laid down there. And so when we're reading these different things, this is how we're extracting the principles so that we know how to argue and have a proper understanding of how to get a, a biblical view on, on different issues. Like, like in this case, you know, should, should someone be paid for their work? Absolutely. Because there is a principle in the Bible that, we should, based on this. And so it's very important that we can be able to read the Bible and have an understanding of how to reason with it so that we would be able to make proper judgments. Uh, Brother James, uh, would you have any example or any, any comment regarding this particular issue of how we should uh, be looking at the Word of God as Christians today? Well, um, as you see that, when we live our lives as Christians, we live our lives with the Bible being our standard. Um, so an example that I can give is when supposedly there are um, inconsistencies with the Bible or the, the, the presentation that the Bible gives as opposed to science. Uh, but let me tell you, guys something i know you guys know but to the to those listeners and the and the ones that are watching there has been no scientific uh, discovery that has annulled contradicted or or thrown out 
the Bible. Everything has been theory. There's been the theory of evolution. There's been the Big Bang Theory. And there's many more. And the, the problem why this keeps coming up is because they don't have the Bible as their authority. So they're constantly either just on their own trying to come up with what is going on in this world because we don't know why we're here. They're, they have no reason to know why they're here. Or they're trying to discredit the Bible. It, it, it seems to be that those it's one of those two things when when it's not in uh, in con, in uh, congruence with the, with the word. At the end of the day, they haven't been able to discredit the Bible. Why? Because they can't. It's just not possible. As we believe that this this book or these books are inerrant and infallible because they were written by the Holy Spirit through the inspiration, right? There is no way they can discredit these things. They can come up with theories. They can, um, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. And, and actually one of the issues that they keep having is that archaeological evidence keeps validating the Bible. H history shows it. We have many um, authors from the ancient world that are not part of the Bible that, that continue to speak on it and, and how great it is and all these things that have, that have happened are true. So they can't, they can't discredit it. And the reason I say this is in this postmodern age, they claim that everybody has their own truth. Nothing matters. You know, let's continue to live on our lives, but they have a problem with this book. They have a problem with our God. Why? Because our God has an authority over them that they don't like. They are in constant rebellion. And the reason that they are in rebellion is because they are totally depraved. What does that mean? They are totally fallen. Every, every part of, of their being has been affected by sin. So we were part of this fallen nature and we still have that what we call the old man where it creeps up, you know, where, you know, we're sinners, but we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. So we have a new heart. We have a new disposition. We have a renewing of the mind. Uh, but we are not in rebellion with our Lord. We have been re reconciliated. So this is the reason why we are, we can look at this book and see the greatness and the transcendence of it. But in this postmodern world, they want to go against it. They say that everybody has their own truth, but they want to go against it. The principles are there. As you see it, there is an authority here. This authority has been, has been ruling us for uh, uh, 2,000 years when, it was, when the canon was completed. And we will continue to be here until Jesus Christ comes. Amen. Well, I think one of the things that we have to definitely consider is that Today we live in an age where people say that they want, they believe, they believe in evidence, and they believe in proofs. But has everything been proven? Has everything that's materialistic been proven? Do people have all knowledge? No. Do we have all knowledge of the Bible? No. The Scriptures itself has actually says that we see through a, through a, a glass darkly. But at the end of the day, it's an issue of trustworthiness. 
and evaluating what you have. The law of God, it's not, it's not something new. It's been here for ages. But when you look at these new philosophies that have come, or even, even looking at the history of philosophy, philosophies are constantly changing. And a lot of times they end up contradicting each other, right? And today, as a matter of fact, it's so contradictory that today it seems like to me postmodernism, it's almost a sign of, oh, I'm just throwing up my hands and uh, I'm not going to bother to defend what I, what I believe. I'm just, I'll let you say your truth and I'll have my truth. When in reality, that's not the way, actually, you know, that was treated uh, throughout history. And I think a lot of it has to do because of the fact that it goes back to what you pointed out, Brother James, which is that there's an issue of rebellion within the heart. Many of these things, when we reason with people, when we as Christians go out and speak with people in the world, a lot of times they will actually agree with us on many things. They don't agree on everything. They don't agree necessarily on the whole faith, but they will agree with us on, on, on many of the things. And, the, and what is the reason for that? Because they are children they are children of God in the sense that they were made in the image of God. You know, they're not salvific children. You know, they're, they're not called out ones as, as we see them, but they are they are uh, an offspring of God in the way that that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in Acts 17. You know that that even the poets spoke about that we are the offspring of God. So because they have this, they're able to see these points. But as you said, why do they not receive them? Why is it that even when we give a good reason for our faith, they do not receive this? Because of the nature of the fall, because of the way that our hearts are. You know, it's it's a rebellion. It's a continual rebellion. And it and once again, that's why it's so important, first of all, to depend on the word of God, because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. So if you want to be strengthened in your faith, you want to be able to have a, a good relationship with the Lord then engage the scriptures, engage in, in, in his holiness and what he brings there. And having engaged that, if you're coming to learn, share with others, share with others, stand for the, for, for the word of God. And I think you will find great blessing. I think for uh, those of us who are here, you know, Johnny and James, that's the whole reason why we're doing this, right? Because we see how impactful the word of God is. And so for you who are out there, who you say that you confess Christ and that you're a Christian, engage Christ. Engage, engage Christ by engaging his word. And that's where you're going to be able to find true life. Yes, you, you acknowledge who he is. You acknowledge him as Christ. You acknowledge him as God. But as he says, why do you call him Lord and you do not do what he commands? Where, how, do, how will you know what he commands? How can you follow what he commands if you're not following his word? Brother Johnny, do you have any comments on this situation? Uh, yes, and I just wanted to share uh, our friend Steve Hawk actually gave a book recommendation, so I'm going to put it on the screen here. Okay. Uh, he says, a great book on the authority of the Bible is the enduring authority of the Christian scriptures edited by D.A. Carson. Uh, so oh, I nice. uh, just wanted to share that recommendation uh, from uh, Brother Steve Hawk. Uh, the other thing I, I wanted to talk about is that a way? Okay, uh, is uh, part of the the issue from a postmodern culture is that everything becomes basically a power structure in postmodernism. It's really an issue of you know you belong to that group, 
that person belongs to that group, that person belongs to, and everyone has their authorities or their, their gurus or influencers that have told them what their truth is. And so it, it all comes down to the, your religious beliefs, whatever religion you are, to be the word of men. It's not the idea that there is one uh, ultra-dimensional, disembodied, eternal, all-powerful being who has actually spoken with clarity and has given a revelation that can be understood and it is absolute and transcendent and, and that it, and when he speaks, this is what it is and everything, everything that contradicts what this being says is wrong. They don't believe, uh, the postmodernists simply don't believe in that. They believe that there's, everyone has their own particular interpretation. Everyone has their own perception. And so for them, perception is reality. Uh, and so the antithesis to this is actually what the Bible has to say. And uh, obviously there's, an, uh, there's a lot of apologetic implications. And I, and I think that uh, we can devote uh, a show specifically to, the, to a defense of the authority of Scripture and uh, to, to kind of get into, you know, things like manuscripts, evidence, and archaeology, prophecy, stuff like that. But this particular show is more about how Christians are supposed to deal with the Bible uh, in relationship to the postmodern world. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is that Christians, in a, in a very secular society, they tend to look at their own Christianity and they're, you know, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the resurrection and, and all of the things that those things entail. But once I leave my house or I leave my church, I leave that at the door. When I'm in the business world, when I'm in the area of education, like schools, the media, uh, if I'm in the, whatever industry we're talking about, that the, the Christian, the, my Christian faith needs to be left at the door. And that's the mistake that the Christians are making. Their Christianity has to influence every aspect of their life because of the scriptures that I'm about to quote. But, that, but before I quote them, I want to make clear that I do not mean by this that we're supposed to be hitting people over the head saying, repent, repent, believe in Jesus, resurrection, and whatever other doctrine you want to you pitch to them. It's simply about knowing how to carve out the aspects of the, of the Christian faith as you're witnessing and as you're being an example to, to the people around you, whether you be family, coworkers, or friends, or just people that you meet out in the street. It's to, to be able to communicate to them your Christian values and, and opening doors and, op and, and opening opportunities to, to start a dialogue in order to find out if a person is interested in hearing more about the word of God. And of course, all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we as Christians need to have wisdom in doing this. But this is what, what the Bible has to say about this. This is from 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And so we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but, that, but as it truly is, God's message. It is which is at work among you who believe. In other words, the, in, in postmodernism, they're saying that all religious beliefs are basically the word of men, the word of their own personal experience, their own personal tradition, or whatever authorities that they've been brought up with. But Paul is saying, no, it's not our message. We got it from God. And, and then you have um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. 
For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will thwart the cleverness of the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where is the expert in the Mosaic law? Where is the debater of the stage? Has God not made the, made the wisdom of this world foolish? For since the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those who believed by the foolishness of preaching. For Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The, these things are very powerful words because we're being told that it is God who is speaking. God is smarter than us. He is more intelligent. He is wiser. We should depend and trust in his word. And if I can uh, quote one more verse, uh, and this is from Psalm 25, verse 5. Guide me into your truth. And notice, one of the things I like to point out is because in the postmodern world, we like speaking about my truth your truth, his truth, speak your truth. The Bible never speaks this way. But in this passage, it is us talking to God. And he says, guide me into your truth. Why is it God's truth? Because God's the creator. It All truth belongs to him. So it's God's truth. And teach me, for you are the God who delivers me. On you I rely all day long. So I just wanted to conclude with that comment. Amen. I think that's a, a great way to finish. I think that that's definitely uh, an, an important uh, thing to consider. I, I hope that as we've been doing the show, that you'll be stirred to be able to look to the scriptures, to have a serious uh, attitude and understanding of the word of God, because it is the words of life, right? As it was said to, to Jesus, right? When Jesus asked, you know, shall you shall you shall you go to to his disciples and they said where shall we go for you alone have the words of life right and that's one of the ways that we know that he is sent from god because the things that he speak are indeed the word of god go ahead brother james yeah just to uh add to what johnny wrote i i, I mean what he spoke sorry um yes. I do want to quote something from R.C. Sproul because I think it it's a summation of why this postmodern world is what it is, which we've spoken about. There's like a rebellion aspect to it. There's this authority aspect to it. And so I want to read this quote. It's actually from it's two different quotes, very short, but from two different works. Uh, so the first one is, ethics involves the question of authority. The Christian lives under the sovereignty of God, who alone may claim lordship over us. Christian ethics is theocentric, as opposed to secular or philosophical ethics, which tend to be anthropocentric. For the humanist, man is the norm, the ultimate standard of behavior. Christians, however, assert that God is the center of all things and that his character is the absolute standard by which questions of right and wrong are determined. So obviously when we say that his character is the absolute standard, his character is revealed in this, in this word, in these scriptures. 
So that's the yes. only way we could know it. And then on the aspect of truth, because another aspect of postmodernism is like we've been talking about your truth and our truth. The Christian should always say that the truth is derived from these scriptures because it is God's truth and no one else's truth. So if a Christian is not saying that, uh, it's it's a it's not a good sign. And I'm I'm not here to to judge because I don't know your heart, but it's not a good sign. And I, and I will use the term professing Christian because again I don't know your heart. But listen to this: the Christian ethic is based on an antithesis between what is and what ought to be. We view the world as fallen. An analysis of fallen human behavior describes what is normal to the abnormal situation of human corruption. God calls us call God, sorry, God calls us out of the indicative by his imperative. Ours is a call to nonconformity, to a transforming ethic that shatters the status quo. What is the status quo today? The status quo is everybody has their own truth. LGBTQ, whatever. Is, is okay. Uh, uh, critical race theory is okay. Uh, even though we're saying, uh, you know, all, all, all Black Lives Matter uh, and, and all this and that, you know, we don't care about the aborted uh, baby, uh, black babies that is going on. It's all crap. That's, and that's the word I'm going to use. It's all crap. It's all rubbish. It's all just terrible. It's ridiculous because the standard that you're going to go by is the word of God. And why do I say this is the standard? This is never changing. This actually is immutable also. It does not change just like God. And we go to it when we have any issues, when we have any problems, and when we want the Lord to speak to us through his word. Okay. Brother, did you, were you answering a question or, were you, or did you come to preach to us? <laughs> no. But all, all kidding aside, though, uh, uh, one thing brother, that we have to... I don't yes, know if you, we have enough time, but uh, Brother Steve Hogg just asked a question. If you want me to throw it in there? Yes, actually, I was going to ask you that. So we're at 54 minutes. So we have got about six minutes uh, going in. So go ahead, please, and, and uh, give us okay. a question. So it's going to be on the screen for uh, for a moment to let the audience read, and, and then uh, we can comment on it. Okay. Okay. So okay, he so says, "How should we, as Christians, how should we defend the inerrancy of Scripture? There are even some Christians who reject inerrancy and say that the Bible can have mistakes, but God's word somehow should uh, should we re uh, somehow how should we reply? You want to take it on, Brother Johnny? Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, one of the things that we we uh, believe in, uh, and uh, the three of us are actually members of Acts Reformed Church, but this is a parachurch ministry that we're doing. Uh, we we also hold to the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, which. Uh, uh, which basically states that we believe that the Bible is infallible, which means incapable of error, which means that by default it is inerrant. Now, unfortunately, with a lot of uh, a lot of the seminaries and a lot of the Christ the the formerly Christian universities, uh, places like Princeton and uh, Harvard and places like that that used to be Christian have now adopted uh, very non-conservative views. Usually, and when, lip, when you speak about liberal scholarship, for those that don't know, liberal scholarship is the scholarship 
in which you don't take the Bible as the actual word of God, as a revelation from God, but rather it's just a, a collection of stories intertwined with some myths. So they, there's no such thing as a the parting of the Red Sea. There's no virgin birth. There's no resurrection. So, so when you have people that tend to uh, mythologize these things and try to turn them into morality lessons or allegories or something like that, you can have them claiming that they believe the Bible is somehow inspired without actually saying it's it's God breathed, which the Greek word in in Second Timothy chapter three. Like, let me just read that text really quickly. Um, it was in my notes. It says, uh, "And how from infancy you have known the holy writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired. That's God breathed. Theonoustos in Greek." by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable, equipped to do every good for every good work. That's Second Timothy chapter three, verses fifteen through seventeen. And so when you don't have that kind of mentality, so by default, what we're saying is that the Bible is infallible, it is incapable of error, it is inerrant, but we do acknowledge, and when we're going, we're planning on doing a show in the future on the doctrine of sola scriptura, and we're going to be responding to arguments made by either Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox apologists, uh, and we're going to get into these issues with a little more depth. But but the issue for us is that because the Bible ha is inerrant in the originals, we believe that it is our final and ultimate authority. However, we do believe that there are. Ma errors and mistakes in the manuscripts. You might have spelling errors, which 99% of the, the spelling error, the, the differences or errors in the manuscripts are spelling errors. Uh, and so uh, we're dealing with a very small portion that deal with these other issues. But but for them, the, it's it's really an issue of why even make it matter? Why not just focus on the biggest pictures? You know, what, what is this important, whether we know this one particular textual variant or not, or whether or not we understand this. And, and in some cases, there's even a story where John Calvin was, was, there was a confrontation about two Bible verses, which seemed to contradict one another. And John Calvin didn't have an answer. And he said, in the future, I'm sure we'll figure it out. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Eventually, we did figure it out. And, and the, see, these are the kinds of things. So we trust that the Bible is the word of God, that it is true because God never lies. And so by default, he is, the Bible has to be infallible, it has to be inerrant, and it has to be very, very important. But yes, we've had even, even one of the most classic and well-respected authors like C.S. Lewis denied inerrancy. And so it, it becomes a bit of a problem when you have Christians that are willing to compromise on, on these types of issues. But I think it's extremely important. I think it needs to be defended. A couple of books that I like to recommend are uh, Gleason Archer's book, Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties, where he deals with a lot of apparent uh, contradictions in the Bible. Uh, Norman Geisler had written a book. Uh, it was originally called When Critics Ask, and then got republished as the big book of Bible difficulties. So th those are those are big volumes, but uh, they cover a lot of information. And uh, so to answer the question, I believe it is very important. And um, yeah. Thank you, brother. Uh, the reason I picked you was because I know that uh, textual criticism is is a passion of yours, so I know that you could thoroughly uh, deal with this. I know I know James himself has a has a, as myself have answers to inerrancy, but I think you did a, a good job of answering that. 
Thank you. Yeah, but just to be, but but just to be clear, I, I don't want the audience to think that I'm some sort of seminary graduate or student that has that that knows Greek as a Greek scholar or anything like that. I'm not. I do not even know the Greek alphabet, but I can tell you what the Greek says if I read what a scholar says about the Greek text. And so if I can just parrot what other scholars say, I'm fine. And so, yes, I do like reading books about textual criticism, but I'm not an actual textual critic. So all I'm going to do is tell you, this is what this scholar says, this is what that scholar says, and I can give you a humble, non-academic uh, opinion. And, and I just want to make sure I don't want people to say, oh, this guy, Johnny, thinks he's a scholar or something like that. Yeah, well, we got to remember that this is this is a show of three laymen, right? Three laymen who, by the grace of God, are, are learning, you know, and uh, benefit from our church, from scholarship, you know, and the word of God itself. So we're thankful to God for the knowledge that we do have. And that's why we want to encourage others to do that. But uh, on a final, uh, as we're getting now into the end of the hour, uh, the final thing that I do want to say is that going back to the fact that because we know that this world has fallen in every age, Satan's at work and as I said previously, all these philosophies and these ideologies that come around, they will always be anti-God. Satan is always looking to throw God out of his throne. That's, that's what he desires. But for us, we know that we have a foundation. We have a rock in our Lord. And he has given us his word, which, which of course, is the one thing that we can definitely uh, look to and have faith in. And as a matter of fact, just so that you can see that it's not about what you think, but it's about what God thinks. I want to share with you uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, because they're both very important. And we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we see how the prophet is laying out how we should look at our hearts. They are not trustworthy, brothers. But second, look what the, what, what, the, what the Lord has to say. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So in other words, what you do in this life and how you look at, you know, how you're looking at, at your faith and how you're living it out, God is going to judge it. And that's why we are here to encourage you to look to the light, look to the light of God in his word. And that way, you know, that you are not standing on your own understanding, but on understanding on the one who created you. Now, as we get to the uh, end of the show, we want to thank every one of you who has been supporting us. Uh, keep us in prayer and allow us and asking the Lord to continue to give us the ability to uh, study and be able to hopefully bring shows that will be edifying uh, to the viewers and ultimately to edify his church. So I want to thank you for joining us. And if you've been blessed, uh, uh, through all these different shows, we just ask you that. Oh, wait, one you... second. One, one second. I just wanted to let okay. the, the viewers know, you know, for the people that are following us on a regular basis, uh, Brother James, I believe, will be taking a couple of uh, weeks off or something, oh. a couple of shows off. Uh, I don't yes. know if we wanted to announce how long or anything like that or just Brother James? I... Yes, it's going to be uh, about at least a month. Well, in a month we would do two shows, so so at least two shows, and it's uh, due to the birth of my daughter. So I want to put my full time and effort into that because uh, you know that's my calling as a, as a husband and as a father. Uh, but I'll be back. Don't you worry. I'll be preaching and and rebuking all <laughs> out there. 
<laughs> well, we, I think that uh, for those that are watching at, at home or at work or wherever they're watching this, I think that we'd all like to say congratulations to you and your wife for, for having this lovely baby. And, of course, your wife and your baby have to take priority over everything else. And uh, even when it means that you're not going to be on this show for a couple of shows, but we're going to miss you uh, in those two times, yes. although I will be seeing you at church anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I just wanted to make sure that the audience knew about that. Yes. Well, why don't we say a quick prayer? Let's do a quick public prayer. Blessed Lord, we just ask you to be with our brother, that you may be able to establish him and his wife, and give them a wonderful child that is a gift from you, Lord, that the child may be protected by you, that it may be able to grow in you, Lord, and that your word indeed would sanctify this child. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to minister along with our brother and we just ask you that at this time you may be with him and that you may be with us as we continue lord to show in honor of you and your glory for we ask it in your precious and holy name amen well thank you so we we again uh thank you for joining us and just ask you that if you are enjoying the show to go ahead and like uh subscribe share or comment uh, on anything that you uh feel that that perhaps you think we need improvement or anything that you would like, uh, any inquiries, we're actually also open to take on any subject that perhaps uh, we can look into that could be of a benefit to you. As you as you know, we, are, we go live every other Thursday at 7.30 uh, Pacific time. So we thank you for joining us and we just ask God to bless you and that we will uh, see each other next time. In the meantime, Lord be with you.